there was a time, especially in the early aughts, where it was a little bit of a dicey proposition going out because so many people who were scared and sick, frankly, were scrambling around for options. And so you found a lot of charlatans, a lot of hucksters throwing out whatever essential oils and number of things. And please, no cards and letters for all your essential oil users out there, but things that do not have a tremendously robust set of data that attribute that. But things like vitamin C, immune builders, where there's somewhat of a track record working towards immunity, I think are probably the the best path. But yeah, you can Google Lyme and uh, naturopathic treatments and get a few hundred thousand options quickly. And that being discerning about your own health and being your own advocate is probably one of your other best defenses in taking control of your health. Have you, a loved one or a friend, been affected with Lyme disease? There are many different ways to go about diagnosing and treating Lyme incorrectly and very few ways to do it right. In this special podcast series, Scott Endicott, Dr. Ben Lockwin, and Tom Fox uncover the shortcomings in the current standards and practices and open up a dialogue about how we can better help patients with this disease. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Episode 4 of Understanding Lyme Disease, a podcast series where I'm joined by Scott Endicott, a Lyme disease sufferer and executive in healthcare, and Dr. Ben Lockwin, a healthcare futurist. In episode four, we take up one of nature's wonders, which is the body's own immunity and why that is the first line of defense against this disease. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Scott Endicott, clinical research professional, and Ben Lockwin, healthcare policy maven, and also Sherlock Holmes maven. We haven't talked about that. True. Today, we're going to talk about in episode four, immunity is a first defense. So, gentlemen, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having us, Tom. You know, so, Tom, every time I hear your voice, it's like better than the time that directly preceded it. <laughs> the game's afoot. What can I say? The, uh, the first question I wanted to throw out for your consideration is, when patients have been failed by the current medical practice, where do they turn? So, let me field this one first. I think... Something, Tom, that you and I have talked about on other podcasts pertaining to compliance and ethics has been that in almost any case that you can imagine, prevention beats correction all the time. So the first thing that we would like people to know is if they're in endemic tick regions where Lyme disease is known, to prevent the tick bites essentially can do a lot more than then trying to find better treatments. So I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention wearing DEET, which is a chemical and bug repellent, which DEET is this chemical called NN-diethyl-M-toluamide, but also permethrin, which is something that you can spray clothes with. A 0.5% permethrin solution will kill ticks almost on contact. And if you find a tick on you, to remove them immediately with tweezers and no other remedies, not coating them with petroleum jelly, not trying to burn them off anything like that. So then should a patient be in a situation where they have a bullseye rash or they've got, let's say, confirmatory blood work suggesting that they have Lyme disease, they will get the typical standard of care that we talked about in the previous episode. And in a scenario which is not uncommon, they'll find themselves with what is called PTLDS, which is 
post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And so these are patients who have been treated with doxycycline, with amoxicillin, ceftriaxone, maybe even intravenously, and they still have this post-treatment set of symptoms. And some of those symptoms are the ones that Lyme patients would have anyway. It could be fever, headache, fatigue, malaise, still joint pain and arthralgia, as was mentioned, I think, in the first episode this week that we talked about. So there are lots of people who have been, quote unquote, properly treated, and they feel as though they still have lingering symptoms. And I think that's really where we need to jump in with this episode to talk about, all right, so those who have seen some modicum of treatment, and they're still presenting with issues to how they're feeling or functioning, as I mentioned in the last episode. Now what? There used to be something called chronic Lyme, and that was essentially what people thought was Lyme that persisted over a long period of time. But the medical community now pretty much disfavors this chronic Lyme terminology because when you look at antibody test results, there can be no evidence of a persistent infection left, which is something Scott mentioned a couple episodes back this week. And so it's probably, or potentially, uh, I don't want to say probably, it's potentially not the organism still exerting its effect, but it's something that's been left over as some sort of shadow from previous infection that the body is still not the way it was. So I think with that, Scott, take us away to now what? So they have post-treatment effects, what can be done? Well, and as we were talking before we came on, functionally, your body is a wonderful engine for immunity all by itself, right? We're fighting all manner of diseases and hosts on a regular basis, on a nanosecond basis continually, right? As we fight cancer and other immunity issues that pop up from everybody that we shake hands with and work through the day. And so Fundamentally, one of the best things that anyone can do for themselves in the patient uh, care side is really, to the best degree possible, given their physical state, work on building their own self-immunity, really working with simple things like diet and exercise. And then the big sort of boogeyman that shows up in a uh, very challenging care paradigm, really, uh, in a care cycle, becomes stress. And stress is a major impact that's been proven. It's a major impact on immunity in humans and mice and deer and everybody that's out there. Every uh, organism that's out there is affected negatively by stress. And so one of the best, yes, exactly. We'd like to stress them a little bit more after today's uh, episode. But truly, building immunity is going to be your best path forward. And so anyone who's in an infected state and has been you know, moved into the post-treatment Lyme world to the greatest degree possible, begin to act a consistent exercise regimen. Push yourself to do things that make sense to you, maybe from a mental standpoint, but physically don't feel good or you don't feel up to. And it becomes because many of the side effects and symptoms of persistent Lyme or post-treatment Lyme disease are psychiatric and mental. There's standard depression. Anxiety is a constant. And then there becomes other sort of adrenal focused and thyroid impacts are very common because of the constant immune challenge. And so given all that, looking at even ways to improve your diet, eating well, thinking in terms of if you're taking antibiotics through a Lyme's 
specialist, if you will, who is treating outside of protocol, look at treating your gut bacteria well by reinforcing with uh, the appropriate products, yogurts, any other product, frankly, that will help with your gut bacteria in that process. But keeping that in mind that there's a whole host of things that are happening to your body, treat yourself well is really one of the best ways you can begin to build immunity as your first defense. Are those treatments within the community of sufferers of this condition known or available, or is there resources that are available for people who need to help understand how to treat their bodies better through really these, I'd say natural, but almost just healthy eating, healthy dieting, healthy sleeping patterns, and healthy living? Well, yeah. The Lyme community is a very well-established, and Ben's probably chuckling in the background because it's probably the uh, second most Googled term on the internet that you'll find, and we'll leave the first one out of this particular podcast. But Lyme sufferers are well-known to inhabit message boards. There's a couple of Facebook communities that are out there that are evolving towards much more straightforward and progressive thinking. There was a time, especially in the early aughts, where it was a little bit of a dicey proposition going out because so many people who were scared and sick, frankly, were scrambling around for options. And so you found a lot of charlatans, a lot of hucksters throwing out whatever essential oils and number of things. And please, no cards and letters for all your essential oil users out there. But things that do not have a tremendously robust set of data that attribute that. But things like vitamin C, immune builders, where there's somewhat of a track record working towards immunity, I think are probably the the best path. But yeah, you can Google Lyme and uh, naturopathic treatments and get a few hundred thousand options quickly. And that being discerning about your own health and being your own advocate is probably one of your other best defenses in taking control of your health. So I really like that last point about taking control of your health. My mother is in her late 80s, and I could remember her in the 60s counseling my sister that women have to take control of their own health and their own bodies, and that was extraordinarily important because of her history as well. So but it does sound like that you can at least give the body a chance to respond by using many of these. Would that be a a fair assessment, Scott? I would agree. Yeah. And I also think that whatever other mechanisms, whether it be yoga, meditation, that can give you space to kind of quiet the stress load in the midst of a very stressful health situation. I have a number of firsthand accounts, and including my own, of finding that space. I happen to find my Zen place on a bike at about 105 degrees and about 100% humidity. That's kind of, for whatever's wrong with me, that's kind of where I find that the place I'm probably most detached and focused on the now and the present. And that's incredibly important that you do take control, not just from a naturopathic standpoint and even you know holistic medicine standpoint, but take control of your health from the standpoint of read really from journals and other places where there's really good information, which is becoming much more prevalent, get educated on the things that are happening around you. And you really have to make decisions about your own care and what you do with them. I'll give you a quick example. 
I was seven months the last time in 2012 when I had a very challenging flare-up that pretty much disabled a lot of my ability to function in the working life, continued to work during that whole time, but because I had my own consulting practice. But given all that, it took seven months of various types of antibiotics being switched back and forth to kind of suppress the effects and impacts by a Lyme specialist who was doing it completely out on his own. And we arrived at a point where he and I sat down and he said to me, okay, Scott, we're going to go whole hog here and we're going to kill this thing. And I had a conversation with my physician and said, you know what, doc, what I need is to get back to life. I don't necessarily need to be a prize winner of the Lyme disease destroyer category because he also warned me there were going to be a lot of side effects that came with increasing antibiotics dosage, et cetera. And to the point of taking control, I had a direct conversation with him and said, hey, I think it's time we parted ways. I've appreciated where you've gotten me to. I've arrived at where I want to be and where I can get back to full functionality. And I haven't left that space since, Tom. So there is some aspects of this where taking control is not just a naturopathic, homeopathic approach, but really a lot of it is educating yourself, getting up to speed on what's happening with your own health and your own body and your own treatment, and then taking charge and making decisions that make sense for you and your family. Well, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our final episode tomorrow where we take a look at being a good host. Gentlemen, I look forward to your concluding remarks tomorrow. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox. I hope you found episode four, Immunity as a First Defense, informative. I know I did. In this episode, you got a lot more information from Scott Endicott about his personal journeys and struggles as a Lyme disease sufferer. We started off, though, by taking some very practical approaches to defenses you can use. One is if you're going to be in an area where deer or deer ticks or there's a prevalence of Lyme disease, take some precautions. Wear long pants. Wear appropriate hiking boots. If it's not too hot, wear a long sleeve shirt. But there are some also some salves and sprays you can put on that will protect you from ticks. So try to use some good common sense if you're going to be out in the woods. But as you move forward, if you do find yourself in this situation, there are a lot of non-standard protocols that you can use. And it basically revolves around you taking charge of your own health. So it means diet. It means eating correctly. It means sleeping. It means living a healthy lifestyle. That may mean meditation. That may mean quieting your mind during a very stressful health situation that your body is going through. As Ben started off this episode with a great phrase, which is prevention beats correction every time. So that if you can prevent a medical condition from arising, you're going to be a lot better off than if you try to precede it. Also, the Lyme disease sufferer community is very vibrant. And there are multiple people who are posting on it in Facebook groups and other online communities so that if you find yourself in this situation, there are lots of people that you can talk to about some of the strategies they've used. This has led to a lot more information and data about non-protocol procedures. And in episode three, Ben talked about 
you have to develop the evidence and a factual basis if you want to try and move forward with a different type of treatment or protocol. Well, there are lots of those types of situations in the Lyme disease community where people have tried something. This is not an internet charlatan. These are people who have tried homeopathic type solutions or at least treatments and gotten some relief out of them. And then Scott closes with, I think, a really prescient discussion about you need to have a very robust dialogue and conversations with your primary treating physician. You sometimes may not need to be the winner of the Lyme disease sweepstake. You, you may simply want to have a functional life with less medication, but using many of these other strategies or tactics. So it was a very informative episode. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our fifth and final episode where we look at being a good host, a path forward to living with chronicity and co-infectious agents.